What is your biggest fear? How does that affect your life? And how does it affect you being who God made you to be and fulfilling his purpose for you? I have a fear. Now, admittedly, that's not as an uplifting statement as Martin Luther King's I have a dreams, but I'll tell you a bit about my fear later. But I think that we live in an age where fear and anxiety is everywhere. You know, just have a look at some of the books on the bestseller list right now. I've got a slide. Um, you know, I'm not saying these are books. I haven't actually read any of them. But, you know, have a look at what they are. Um, this one down here, I don't know if you could read that. The five-second rule, transform your life, work, and confidence with everyday courage, breaking the habit of being yourself, atomic habits, 12 rules for life to chaos. You know, I'm not reading. I'm, you can read that one. I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> um, you know, this is what people are, are after in life. These are top-selling books. And over the last few weeks, I've been talking transformed life. And what... Sorry, a thing popped up on my screen. Um, and it's just totally moved my message. Um, we've, I've been talking about having a trip and what it has done for us and what that means. We've looked at a couple of areas where we can change our thinking and see what God really wants for us. And I really want to delve deeper into that today. We're going to look at Romans 12, more specifically the verse that was the inspiration for this series, The Transform Life, Romans 12, 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does that actually mean? So God has a plan for us. He wants us to know what that is, but all too often we get caught up in what patterns that lead us to behave not that takes away from what God, want, what God has for us. It stops us from knowing and recognizing what that is and doesn't allow God to do his full transformative work in us and make us who we were truly meant to be, which is his children with our new family resemblance we learned last time. So it's about the way we think. We need to start to think about what we think about. What are, you, what are we dwelling on? The past, our failures, other people's opinions? In our self-righteousness, Sorry, we learned that if our self-righteousness is actually misplaced confidence, you know, then how do we actually get to a place where we put confidence in God? If we're stuck in fear and slavery to sin, how do we actually get out of that into a realization of our status as children of God? We need to think about what we think about and adjust that thinking to be on the things and the ways of God, the way God sees our situations, the way God sees our past, the way God sees us. Philippians 4 verse 8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We need to think about what we think about. Let's go back to Romans 12 and have a look at chapter because I think that verse 1 gives us a reason for verse 2 and then the following verses give us an example of what God actually wants us to be. So we'll start with verse 1 and 2 and kind of break that down and go from there. So 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As I said in week one, this is one of my favorite verses, and I think... To be honest, it was actually on a superficial level that I liked it. I liked the, you know, don't sin like the world sins idea. Don't do what they do, that's wrong. I think that um, in my own self-righteousness, 
you know, I liked that that verse would tell all those other wrong Christians out there not to do what they're doing. <laughs> but I've actually learned in these last few weeks and come to understand what this verse really means, and I love it even more. It's not really what I thought at all, but it's so much better. And let me tell you, I am preaching to myself just as much as I am to you. So let's break this down. Verse 1 starts with, therefore. Many of you might have heard that when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? So to know what it's there for, we need to look at what came before. So chapters 1 through 11 of Romans summarize the gospel message. It's about what the law means, how we can't make ourselves right with God, that we're all sinners anyway. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, God made us righteous. And when our dead to sin, in Christ, nothing can ever separate us from his love. We're all children of God co-heirs with Jesus, every Christian together living as one big family of God. And that kind of sums up my last two messages. So that's good. We need to know and understand that. But Paul continues here. He doesn't stop there. He begins chapter four with therefore and goes on to tell us that in light of all that that's gone before, what we're now to do. He says, in view of God's mercy, because of what God's done, because he's shown us his mercy, pardon punishment and let Jesus take it instead. So we're sinners. We deserve punishment. But God had mercy on us. So in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy to God. Offer bodies, what does that mean? It means to offer ourselves to be used by God, to be set apart. When something is set apart, it's for a particular purpose. But God has a purpose for us. So let's read again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Other versions say this is your reasonable response. The amplified version actually says this is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. So it's not an extreme thing, and it's also not a dumb thing either. It's actually what's reasonable. It's actually what makes perfect sense in light of God's mercy, in light of the fact that he gave everything for us, paid that full price, took our punishment for what we did. In light of that, of course, it's only reasonable that we offer ourselves, set ourselves apart for God's purpose. What the heck do you think he did it for? So we could go on back to sinning, go on back to being the same as everyone else, go on back to having no purpose in life. So how do we offer ourselves to him? How do we set ourselves apart? First, Paul tells us what not to do. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. If we're giving ourselves to God, we can't also give ourselves over to the things and the ways of this world. The word conform here means to form oneself to another's pattern. It's referring to an outward expression of behavior that doesn't actually reflect what's inside of a person. So when we're conformed to the patterns of the world, we're actually putting on something and acting in a way that's not our true selves. As Christians, we're made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we're actually conforming, masquerading, pretending to fit in with, what the, world, with the world and doing what the world does. And that's not our true nature. So why on earth do we do it? I think it all starts in here. That's why Paul goes on to say, to be, be transformed the renewing of your mind. We've believed lies that have led us to behave in ways that aren't fitting with our new nature. Gandhi said, your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, your values become your destiny. When we believe, what we believe and what we think about is so important because it leads us to becoming who we are. When we believe lies like, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve 
you fill in the blank. I don't have what it takes. I'll be humiliated if I do that. We conform to the ways of the world because of our fears. Fear of not fitting in. Fear of not being loved. Fear of not being accepted. Fear of not being in control. Fear of looking stupid. Fear of not living up to others' expectations. I want to tell you about a fear I had, and if I'm completely honest, um, I, I still have, but I've made a lot of work to overcome it, and it's not something that has hold of me like it used to. It's called a metaphobia. It's a fear of vomiting. I didn't have the most extreme case of it. I've, I've heard of people who basically hide away and don't live life because they're scared of it, but it became a fear that dominated a lot of my thinking for some time. I know it's not nice. Nobody likes throwing up, except maybe Brendan, who views it as your body's way of just getting rid of something. And I, I, I don't think I'll ever get to that point. But it was deeper than that for me. It wasn't just I don't like it. Like I, for me, it actually stems from a fear of losing control. And it's something that pops up in other areas of my life that I'm working on. I said, I'm preaching this message to myself just as much as you. And I was girls um, at my dinner party the other night about this too. But um, what happened was I began to develop a pattern of behaviours to try and avoid the feelings of anxiety if I thought that I might be exposed to something that would make me I wouldn't touch, touch food and bring it to my mouth if I hadn't first gone and washed them. Um, I wouldn't... It wasn't just when I knew that someone had been sick and I was around them or in the same house as them, um, although my avoidance behaviours definitely increased majorly when, at those times. But I just imagined that gastroviruses were everywhere and they could be anywhere. I mean, they could be anywhere, I know, but, you know, I was thinking about this all the time and I couldn't allow myself not to be diligent enough avoided, uh, in avoiding a chance to ingest any of those viruses. I didn't want to get pregnant because I was afraid of having morning sickness. I didn't actually throw up at all during pregnancy, so <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, you know, I didn't want to have a child because they get sick. And I used to just think, what's going to happen when that happens? I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to have a child around. They're gonna, I'm, I'm not going to be able to cope. I was living in fear. Of course, Brendan had a great movie quote for that as well. <laughs> a life, strictly ballroom, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. And it was. You know, I wasn't, I, yeah, it wasn't good. So when we've misplaced our confidence, when we forgot about what we have and who we are in Jesus, we have fears about ourselves not being good enough or about what, the people, or what people in the world might think of us. And we develop a pattern, like I developed a pattern of behaviour that resembles that of the world to try and avoid those feelings of fear and anxiety. We start doing things that Romans 13.13 13 and plenty of other scriptures warns us against. It says, Do not, don't participate in the darkness of wild and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living. Galatians 5 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. So if we're afraid of not fitting in, of not being accepted, we're afraid of not being loved, or we fear not living up to other people's expectations, not being good enough, then we develop a pattern for avoiding that fear, a worldly pattern, doing what the world does so we will fit in and not be rejected. Engage in sex, to feel loved by someone. We start gossiping 
with others, about others. We pretend to love others just so that we won't be unloved or thought of as rude or bad. We, we try really hard to do everything really well so we won't disappoint, even things that we don't want to do. And maybe we begin to drink or smoke to take away the anxious feelings. We compare ourselves to others to see if we're living up to that worldly standard. We post photos on social media just to get likes. If we're afraid of looking stupid, we avoid situations or speaking up so that we can't be wrong. We start putting others down to feel better about ourselves. If we're afraid of not being in control, we try and control everything. And when things don't go the way we want them to go, we get angry and frustrated and take it out on others. This is when I'm preaching to myself. Um, <laughs> you know, we can see the patterns that we begin to form and the outward behaviors that we exhibit that we know are not really truly who God made us to be. Okay, let's get into the good stuff. Paul says, but, as Nathan said, we like big Bible buts and we cannot lie. <laughs> but, be transformed. We need to allow God and his spirit to live inside us and change us. Instead of essentially giving up and giving into the lies we've believed and allowing them to shape who we are. Instead of that, God transforms us into a new person. What does it mean to be transformed? It means our inner new nature that God has given us shapes the outside behavior to be shown in our daily living. So how does God transform us? By the renewing of your mind, by changing the way we think, by thinking about what we think about. The word renew means to give fresh life or strength to. It's not that we should wipe away our minds completely and just be blank. You know, I always thought that's what meditation was, you know, as a non-Christian spiritual practice, just totally cleansing, clearing your mind of anything. And maybe that's what some people practice, but that's not actually what the word meditation means. The dictionary definitions I found are that it is continued or extended thought, reflection, or contemplation, or the act of giving your attention to, to only one thing. So just like God told Joshua, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. We are to meditate on and think about God's word. Again, I read before Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is ex excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if we're stuck in this pattern of behavior we've developed to avoid our fears, the only way to get out of that is we need to renew our minds. It's all up here. If we look at the word in the Greek here used for mind, it's the word nous, which means the capacity to understand what's true or real. So sometimes that word is translated to understanding. So we need to renew our understanding. As I said, we've believed lies. I've believed a lie that I can't handle if I don't have control. If things don't go the way I want or expect them to, I can't cope with the stress. I can't cope with the fear of throwing up and losing control of my body like that. So how did I and continue to change my mind about how I think about this? I began to think about what I was thinking about. My thoughts were, I can't cope, I can't handle it. I had to pick myself up on that every time I thought that and change it around to, I can handle this. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. I needed to understand that I can control my thoughts and feelings and I don't have to think negatively and anxiously about the situation. I had to bring in perspective and know that I'll be fine if anything happens. It wasn't easy and it wasn't just once that I had to do that. 
you know, I had to put these new thoughts in my head over and over and over and over again. And if anything else started creeping back in over and over and over again, and still over again, we have to make a decision to think about what we think about. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So our standard for all that we think has to, um, or say or do has to be, is this consistent with Scripture? Is this consistent with what God wants? If we're thinking, I'm not good enough unless I look like all the other girls on Instagram. I'm not good enough if my muscles aren't big. I won't fit in if I don't dress a certain way or behave the way that my friends do at parties. I have to put others down to feel better about myself if we're believing that. We need to take those thoughts captive and actually acknowledge them and think, no, that doesn't line up with what God says. That doesn't fit in with, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a child of God. Love one another. When we think about what we're thinking about and realize that these thoughts are not in line with God's word, we need to adjust, take deliberate time to get the right thinking patterns going. Now, I know that might sound like an effort and hard work, but you know what? We're already thinking about things. We're thinking the damaging things, the things that are leading to conforming to the world instead of God's transforming power. We're already spending hours thinking over what so-and-so said the other day. And did they really mean that? Were they trying to say I didn't do a good enough job? Were they saying I'm a failure? We're already thinking, wow, my life isn't as good as that person's. My body doesn't look as good as that. I don't have as many friends as them. Were they laughing at me? You know, if you're going to waste all that time in our mind with that rubbish, which is exhausting, by the way, then take some time to adjust those thought patterns. Get into the truth. Get into what God says. My fear, of course, is totally irrational. Being sick is something that everybody in the world deals with and gets on with. It's not, I have no logical reason, reason to be afraid. I've had to renew my, my noose, my understanding of what is real and true. And what is real and true is if it happens, yes, it won't be that nice, but I can handle it. God hasn't given me a spirit, God, sorry, God has given me a spirit of power and a sound mind. I can stay calm. I'll be okay. I'm an overcomer. That's the truth. That's God's will for me. The rest of verse 2 goes on to say that when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we have a renewed understanding, then we'll actually know God's will for us, what it is he wants us to do, what his plan and purpose is for us, what is true, and what is real, and what is good, and pleasing, and perfect. Then we will have been transformed by God. The rest of Romans 12 goes on to tell us what a transformed person actually looks like. So let's have a look at that. Verse 4 says, For each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, so, yeah, so in Christ we, though, we, though many, sorry, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So that love must be sincere. Another version says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. I love that. What I said before, you know, sometimes when we're trying to be loved, we pretend to love others so that we will feel loved. But when we are transformed by God, when we know what 
he really, the truth of what he really thinks about us, then we can actually really truly love others and not just pretend. Verse 10, be devoted to love. Honor one another above yourselves. Hard to do when, you're, when you think that you are, uh, when you're feeling like you're not good enough and, and you want to be better, so you put others down. But when we're transformed, we, we put others above ourselves and it doesn't feel bad. <laughs> it, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share, the Lord's, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. Um, I'm not going to touch on that burning coals thing. It's not, just... Okay, just quickly. That doesn't mean that we go being nice for the sake of like it, it burning, heaping burning coal. Like I'm going to be nice, because it'll be bad for them. That's not. That's not. That's not really being transformed. So when we're set apart for God's purpose, we need to stop believing the lies that we've been told or the lies that we've been telling ourselves. This leads us to behave in a way that's inconsistent with who God made us to be. We need to think about what we think about. And think about God's word and get God's word and his perspective inside of us from the inside out. Who we really are and who God planned us to be will show through and we'll know it's true. We'll become people who really love others, are joyful no matter what, patient and faithful. We will cling to what is good, do crazy things like love our enemies. Why? Because we'll no longer be afraid. I now do crazy things like eat food without washing my hands. And I don't mean like I never wash my hands. I'm not gross. But, <laughs> you know, I don't live my life in this constant fear inside of me. I got pregnant. I had a baby. I've watched him throw up without me having a total meltdown over it. <laughs> I'm living transformed in God's truth. I'm not totally cured, but I, I still struggle at, in the area of control. But this series has reminded me that I need to think about what I think about. And make sure that it's God's truth that I'm thinking on. I don't really see this message as the type of one that we do an altar call, you come up and receive something from God. Um, I've talked a lot about the work that we need to do in renewing our minds. And don't get me wrong, it's still God who does the transforming. We just have to position ourselves, position our minds by thinking about what we're thinking about and focusing on God's word. So that when we, we can come to understand, so that what we can come to understand, sorry. So that what we come to understand of God's word can totally transform us. Can I just ask you all to close your eyes right now? Because I do want to give you an opportunity if maybe you're here today and you've thought that that all sounds good, Kirsty, but I don't even know this God that you're talking about. Maybe you've never ever made a decision to believe in Jesus and ask him into your heart. So that's where, because that's where the transformation begins. If that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment to raise your hand and acknowledge that that's you. And together as a whole church, we're going to pray a prayer. 
And if you pray that today for the first time or maybe a recommitment, but we want to support you in that decision. So if that is something you want to do today, I invite you right now just to raise your hand. No one's looking at it. It's just for me to know if there's anyone to, to pray with so we can all pray together. Okay, awesome. Why don't you open your eyes? And what I really want to do um, is encourage you today that if this message has resonated with you, do something about it. <laughs> um, figure out what your pattern of thinking and behavior has become and find out what you can renew your mind with. The Bible's a great place to start, but there's also lots of books out there, not necessarily the ones I had on the screen, although some of those, I don't, as I said, I haven't read them. Some of them might have some valuable stuff in there, but there's some um, Christian books as well that, that talk about getting some of God's stuff into you. There's Crush the Chatterbox by Stephen Furtick, um, Unglued by Lisa Turkhurst, Anxious for Nothing by Max Licardo. Um, I haven't read any of her books, but um, if you really want to get an understanding of how your mind works and how to change your thinking, then Dr. Caroline is a Christian and a neuroscientist, and I listened to a podcast of her being interviewed by Stephen Furtick, and it's some pretty cool stuff. Um, But I I cannot encourage you more to do something about it if you want to change that, and don't gather information. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf said that we've become people who gather puzzle pieces but don't actually put the puzzle together. We gather all this information, we hear good messages at church, take notes and then wonder why nothing changes because we're not actually applying it, putting it together, putting the puzzle together. So if any of those books sound like something you want to read and you didn't write that down, come and speak to me. I can tell you those and uh, or any of those authors' names again if you like. But let's, let's think about what we think about.